0: David and Goliath. David and Goliath. I don't know if there's a more familiar biblical account than David and Goliath. I mean, pretty much if you go to anyone in our culture, in our society, and you ask them, what's the story of David and Goliath? They're going to at least be able to tell you that it's the story of an underdog in David beating a, a giant in Goliath. In fact, if you were watching the AFC championship game this past Sunday, you heard Tony Romo and Jim Nance refer to the matchup between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New England Patriots as what? David versus Goliath. In fact, he said it four or five times, and it, it stuck out as he was commenting because I, I was studying the text at the time. and You know, it did have a lot of the markings of a David versus Goliath matchup. You had Blake Bortles versus the, the, the veteran, right, and, and Tom Brady with the five Super Bowl rings you had Doug Maroney, who's an unproven head coach against the wily genius of Bill Belichick. But as much as it, it had some of the markings of the classic David versus Goliath scenario, I mean, aside from the fact that Goliath won, it was really missing one thing that would have made it a, an, an accurate David versus Goliath scenario, and that's this. See, our, our culture has pirated this story. Our culture has has robbed the story of David-Goliath from its context in the scriptures and turned it into something that it was never supposed to be. See, in our culture, we hear about David versus Goliath and everybody cheers for David and gets behind the small guy, gets behind the underdog. And, you know, if the giant wins, we all kind of shrug our shoulders and we say, well, they were supposed to win. But if Goliath happens to pull off the upset, well, what we do then is we worship Goliath, or worship, sorry, David. If David pulls off the upset, we worship David. We get all excited about David and we glorify David and we put David on a pedestal and we talk about David's never give up attitude and can't lose mentality and his tenacity and his scrappiness. And we end up making it all about David. Well, the story of David and Goliath has nothing to do with David, really. It's not about an underdog at all and it's certainly not about giving glory to David. See, the story of David and Goliath, and this is what New England versus Jacksonville was missing on Sunday. The story of David and Goliath is an account of a young man who was zealous for the reputation of God. And because of that, he wasn't about to let anyone, no matter their size, no matter how strong, defy his God. You know, you and I should have that same level of zeal, that same level of passion for the reputation of our Lord. In fact, in that sense, we should all strive to be David's. Not in the sense that maybe you've heard it preached before, hey, dare to be a David and beat the Goliaths in your life. No, that's nonsense. I want us to strive to be Davids this morning in the sense that I want us to strive to have the same concern for the reputation of our God, the same zeal and passion for his name that would cause us to stand up and refuse to allow anyone anywhere to defy our God. That's how we can strive to be David. Grab your Bibles and open them to 1 Samuel 17. Let's look at what that actually looks like in action for us. 1 Samuel 17 opens with Saul and Israel on the front lines against the Philistines. See, the Philistines have invaded Israelite territory, and they've drawn up for battle at the Valley of Elah. They've drawn up for battle there, and they're camped on one side, and here's a picture of the Valley of Elah today. They're camped on one side, and Israel's camped on the other side. And, and actually, this is taken from the perspective of the region where the Philistines would have been encamped. This is from Azekah. And so the Philistines would have been on the side nearest to us. The Israelite army would have been on the side furthest from us. And they were drawn up to do battle against one another. Well, out from the Philistines one day wanders a, a man who was, was quite noticeable, a man named Goliath, Goliath of Gath. And our text says that Goliath was six cubits in a span. So Goliath was massive, and he was the Philistine champion. You'll see a, a graphic up here. You'll see David's estimated height over on the far left, okay, about 5'2". Then you've got six 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 there. Then that blue guy is Shaquille O'Neal. So Shaquille O'Neal is about 7'1". And then we've got the world's tallest man in recorded history, which is not true because we've got Goliath recorded in history for us. So we've got 8 foot 11 there, and then you've got Goliath measuring in at 9 foot 6. Nine six. He's 4, inch, four inches short of a, of a basketball rim, a regulation height basketball rim. I mean, this guy was mammoth. He was enormous, and he comes out, and he challenges Israel. And what he does is he challenges Israel to a one-on-one contest here. Pick up with me in verse 8, if you will. So there's the charge. There's the challenge. The great champion, Goliath, nine foot six, this massive human being who was arrayed in armor that was unlike anything that Israel probably had outside of maybe King Saul at this time. This guy looks impenetrable. He looks like somebody that nobody stands a chance to go up against. And he comes out and he throws out a challenge to Israel. He says, Israel, you send your champion. I'm Philistine's champion. Let's save some some lives in this. We'll just battle one-on-one. If you win, we'll be your slaves. If if I win, you're going to be our slaves. And it says in verse 11 that the reaction of this from Israel was that Saul and all Israel, when they heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That word dismayed there, it's a, a word in the Hebrew that means psychologically shattered. They're undone. They're despairing. They're hopeless. They're they're totally terrified before this man. And it emphasizes that when it says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is this is Nick Foles right now, right? Listening to Tom Brady give press conferences while wearing all five of his Super Bowl rings. This is the Eagles secondary watching game film of of Tom Brady pick apart the Jaguars' vaunted defense. This is Doug Peterson watching last year's Super Bowl matchup between the Falcons and the Patriots going, man, I'm not going to be able to relax this entire game. Even a blowout victory is is not safe. And so David's paralyzed with fear. Not David, Israel is paralyzed with fear. But what about David? David. Well, David comes on the scene, and and David's not playing the heart for King Saul right now because King Saul's on the front lines, and he's drawn up for battle, and so David's not required at this point in time. So what is David doing? Well, David's back home with the sheep. We find out in the text that Jesse had sent his three oldest sons to the front line, Eliab, Abinadab, and, and, and Shammar. I thought I had all three memorized, and I just dropped the last one. Anyways. Three of his oldest sons are are up at the front lines. David's running back and forth between tending the sheep and taking supplies and provisions up to the front lines. See, the way the army worked at this time was when you were sent out to battle, your family was responsible for providing you with food and the supplies that you needed. So David was making trips back and forth because it had been 40 days, our text says, that Goliath had come out to issue this challenge. Forty days. The two armies would draw up in the morning, Goliath would come out and shout his challenge and Israel would retreat. 40 days, and so David had gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, on one of these trips out there, he happens to hear Goliath's challenge. I'm the champion of the Philistines. Send out a champion from among you who will fight me. If you win, we'll be your slaves. If you win, I'll be, we'll be, the other way around. It's early, right? yeah. But David hears this, and what's more, he hears him say at the end, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. And, and David begins to investigate. Pick up in verse 23. David left his, possess- his supplies with the keeper of the baggage. In verse 23 it says, As he talked with them, the other Israelites, behold, the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. It's a reference to being tax free. Verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. David's incensed at this. And so he begins to investigate what's going on. How long has this been happening? Who who is this man who's defying Israel and the armies of the living God? Who's going to stand up and take away the reproach, the dishonor, the shame, the humiliation, the embarrassment from God's people? Who's going to go up against this man? Well, Eliab... David's oldest brother comes along and hears him, and like any good older brother would do, he accuses him of having impure motives for being there. Oh, David, you were just bored with the sheep. I know why you're here. You just want to see the action. You wanted to get a taste of the front lines. Run on home. Go back. Thanks for dropping off your supplies, but why don't you go back and tend the sheep like a good little boy? And David, like any younger sibling would, would respond, says, what have I done now? Will you leave me alone? He brushes Eliab off, basically. He says, forget this. And he, he moves on. Well, somebody overhears David's questioning about Goliath, and he goes to Saul. And maybe he says, hey, Saul, we, we might have somebody. So David goes in before Saul, and, and, and David sticks out like a sore thumb, because while everybody else is hiding behind boulders, David is standing up wondering, who's going to take away the shame and the reproach from Israel? What was different about David? Well, David was incensed. He was outraged that anyone would mock his God and be left unpunished. Do the challenges to God's character that you encounter today have the same impact and same effect on you? When God's power and authority, when his character is challenged or attacked, does it do anything to you internally? It should, and in fact, not only should it, it needs to. It's our first point this morning. You can write it down this way. If we're going to strive to be David's, we need to bristle when God is attacked. We need to bristle when God is attacked. We need to be like a dog in that sense. If a dog is, is feeling threatened, what happens to the hair on the back of its neck? It, it stands up, doesn't it? And the dog gets ready, uh, ready to attack, ready to pounce. He, he bristles, He becomes agitated. He becomes angry. He becomes ready to to do battle when he feels threatened. When Pastor Mike preached on this passage, and I would encourage you to go back onto the Focal Point website. It's not on the app, but it's on the website because it was all the way back in 1998. He preached through 1 Samuel. He preached through this text, and he put it this way. He said, we need to be more apt to be offended. We need to be more apt to be offended. Goliath defies Israel. That word defy, it's only used 10 times in the entirety of the Old Testament. It occurs five times in this passage. You think it's significant in this passage? Yeah. Half the uses of its entirety in the Old Testament occur in our passage before us this morning. It's a word defy. It means to taunt, to shame, to heap shame on, to mock, to insult. And so this is what Goliath is doing to Israel and to the God of Israel. You know, John Calvin once said this. He said, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and yet remained silent. Calvin says, look, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I'd be a coward if I did nothing when my God is attacked. Psalm 69, verse 9, David writes this. Zeal for your house has consumed me the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. What David's saying there is that when our God is attacked, we need to feel the sting. Psalm 119, verse 53. Hot indignation. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. A real life example of this that I can... Recall is the the most recent presidential election that I'll I'll just put it this way there was a rally for the one who eventually lost. And uh, at this rally for her, there was a woman who stood up and said, I had an abortion. And the entire room cheered that. That needs to make us angry. And I don't know if you saw that, read that, heard that, but I remember hearing that and it, it made me angry. There's a righteous anger that that's, should come along when our God or our God's design or our God's word is attacked or impugned. When our world stands up and, and calls dark good, darkness light, and bad good, that needs to have an, an impact on us. But how about even in the realm of entertainment? It, it, what's your response when you're watching a television show that defies God? that taunts him that mocks him a movie that uses his name over and over and over again in vain are you entertained more by the mocking the world's mocking of god than you are offended by it have you become desensitized to it uh, let me ask you this question if you're out with your wife or your girlfriend or your spouse or whoever someone you love, and somebody came up to you and, and began to make fun of them in front of you? What's your response going to be? How about I figure out with your child? Somebody comes up to your child and threatens your child. What's your response going to be? I saw that in, in Starbucks not long ago. There was, I walked in to pick up my, my drink order, and there was a, a man arguing with another man, And at one point, this this man who was obviously the the instigator and and pretty belligerent and uh, probably drunk stood up over the man's son. And and the, the other man stood up at that point in time, and he had more strength than I think I would have had. But that's not Okay. Right? I mean, we all understand that, right? You guys are tracking with me. If somebody threatens your family or mocks your family or makes fun of your family in front of you, you're going to do something about it. Why not with God? How much more, when it comes to our God, should we be willing to stand up? See, the mark of someone who truly belongs to God, like David did, is that when God is impugned, he feels the blow as well. We get this with our sports teams, right? If, if you make fun of my team, you need to know that you and I have a problem. In fact, even as we talk about our sports teams, we talk about we and us, don't we? Oh, man, we had a, we had a rough game last night. It was a rough outing. If we're willing to, to stand up and defend a sports team, which is worthless, right? Pointless. It's mindless entertainment. Again, how much more? Should we feel the blow when somebody attacks our God? David and Calvin would have gotten along well because David wasn't about to remain silent either. He goes in before Saul and David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David's probably a teenager at this point. And he's wearing the clothing of a shepherd. And he walks in before the king of Israel, who, by the way, was probably the most worldly qualified individual to go out and fight Goliath, wasn't he? He was a head and shoulders taller than any of the other Israelites. And remember Israelites' demand for a king, give us a king who's going to go out in front of us and fight our battles for us. And here Saul is cowering with everybody else. And David, a teenager, walks in and says, hey, you know what, don't worry about it. I got it. It's on me. Was there risk in David's decision to go out and fight Goliath? Yeah. And the risk wasn't just his, was it? The risk was his and the rest of his kinsmen. Because if David goes out to fight Goliath and if David loses, because remember at this point in time, David doesn't know the rest of the story. We do. But if David goes out to fight Goliath and if, if David loses, what happens to all of Israel? They become the slaves of the Philistines. And so, yeah, there's great risk in this, but yet still David was willing to go. Why? Because this man has, had defied his God. He had taunted, he had mocked the God of Israel, and David wasn't okay with it. He wasn't going to remain silent. He wasn't going to sit there and do nothing. I wonder if we would be so bold. Would we risk that much, or would we play it safe like the rest of the other Israelites waiting for somebody else to finally step forward and go out to battle for us? Our second point this morning is this. If we're going to dare to be Davids, if we're going to be Davids in this life, we must bristle when God is attacked. And second, we must take action no matter the risk. Take action no matter the risk. Again, Pastor Mike put it this way. Be willing to risk it all. Be ready to fight. Be ready to fight. What holds us back from this? When we are with coworkers who are taking the name of the Lord in vain on a regular basis, when somebody mocks the scriptures, when somebody challenges our God, what holds us back from taking action? I thought of three categories that I think we can classify most of our objections in. Number one is just plain fear. We're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid of what the people that are mocking God might do to us. Let me suggest the words of Christ to help us correct that mindset. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Do not fear somebody who all they can do is take your physical life. Fear the one who can take your physical life and condemn you to an eternity in hell on top of that. How about shame? Ah, We don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be the Bible thumper. We don't want to be the the zealot. We don't want to be the, oh, heaven forbid, the legalist. I think we'd all do well to, to drift a little bit more that direction. In fact, I think we'd all do well to be that guy. Jesus says this in Luke 9, 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Wow. Man, whoever's ashamed of Christ, Christ is going to be ashamed of them when he comes back. How about the third category here? Just plain anxiety. Anxiety. We're we're worried about how it's going to go. We're anxious about it. Philippians 4.6, you guys know this verse. Paul says, be anxious for, what's the next word? Nothing. Would that include standing up to defend our God in the face of those who attack him? Yeah, that falls into that category. Be anxious for nothing. What does he say? Instead, pray. As you're thinking about having that conversation with your coworkers, as you're thinking about having that conversation with maybe your wife about saying, hey, you know that show we've been binge-watching together? The more and more I think about it, the more and more I see that it's not honoring to the Lord. It defies him. It openly mocks him. We, we, need, to, we need to cut it out. Whatever the, the, the encounter is that you may need to have with somebody about standing up to those who defy and challenge your God, pray, go before the Lord, ask for the boldness, the confidence, the wisdom to be able to have those conversations. David was willing to take such a risk. Why? Because his confidence was so high in God. To him, the risk was all but insignificant. Saul protests, but David continues. Verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb for the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When David says the word Philistine, you need to hear just the utmost of contempt in that word. For David, it was a derogatory term. I mean, this is a a pathetic excuse for a human being. And David's saying, Look, God has come through for me in the past. He's delivered me from situations that were as dire as this. When a lion or a bear was attacking me, he gave me victory over them. He's going to give me victory over this one as well. You know, sometimes you see the image of David and and he looks like a malnourished street child. David wasn't Eliab. He wasn't as tall as Eliab. He wasn't Saul. But David's no scrawny little punk either. I mean, if he's catching a lion by the beard and killing him, I don't want to meet him in a dark alley. And so David says, look, Saul, I'm going because God's going to deliver me. He's delivered me in the past. He's going to deliver me again. David's confidence in the Lord made him willing to take on any foe, any obstacle, knowing that God was able to deliver him. Can you think of three other Israelite youth who come along down the road who may have had that same level of confidence? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar calls them in before him after they fail to fall down and worship the golden image, and he says, clearly you have a hearing problem. What I said was, when you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the golden image, or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace, and because I'm such a magnanimous individual and a gracious guy, I'm going to give you a second chance. And what do they say? They say, King, keep your second chance. We don't need to answer you in regard to this, but just so that everybody's clear, we're not going to fall down and worship. And throw us in the furnace. Do it if that's what you're going to do. Our God is able to deliver us from the furnace and he will deliver us from your hand. See, it's the, the same idea. They, they were incensed. They were outraged when their God was attacked with this golden image that went up. And they took action by saying, we're not going to bow down before this image. Because they were confident that the Lord could deliver them. So, the question is Do we have the same confidence when we've got, again, a coworker who uses the Lord's name in vain in conversations with you? Or a family member who openly mocks Christianity, talks about how Christians are narrow minded, intolerant, or one who attacks the Bible as being irrelevant and outdated? Do we sit idly by or are we willing to stand up and defend our God in the face of those things? See, offense that fails to produce action reveals a lack of faith, a lack of confidence in the Lord. Saul finally agrees and sends David out to fight the giant. And when Goliath sees him coming, he's actually insulted. Verse 41, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. By the way, that would have been a... a, a full-grown man, and the shield would have been as large as the full-grown man. That's the type of shield that we're talking about. And this guy's going in front of Goliath, making him even more difficult to attack. The shield bearer in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, David could have responded in a lot of ways. He could have responded by listening to his personal resume there. Hey, Goliath, let me tell you how many bears I've killed. In fact, oh, look at that. I happen to be wearing one of them right now. Hey, Goliath, how many lions have you caught by the beard and killed? Goliath, I'm going to make you just like one of them. I'm strong enough to overcome you. Don't underestimate me. You see, David could have made this personal, but he doesn't. See, even before going into the battle, David demonstrated that he wasn't interested in receiving the glory. And again, this is where we get this story so wrong. The application of David and Goliath isn't go out and be Davids and overcome the Goliaths in your life. That makes it about you and about me. The application of David and Goliath is be, David, be outraged, incensed when your God is attacked and be willing to go to battle to defend his name and his reputation. And as David's about to say, for his glory. He made sure everyone knew who was going to win this battle and it wasn't David and it wasn't Goliath. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, man, this is one of the all-time great battlefield speeches right here. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Notice the order. Hey, Goliath, the Lord's going to give you to me, then I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. In other words, this battle's done before it even gets started. And I will give the dead bodies, all those behind you, I'm going to give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give, it, give you into our hands. Man, Mel Gibson and Bravehearts got nothing on David. that wimpy scream and yell and throw in the spear or the, the sword in that scene. I mean, David says, look, I'm coming to you on behalf of another. I'm coming to you on behalf of the God of the armies of Israel, the one that you've been mocking, making fun of. And know this, he's going to give you to me, then I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. Oh, and those armies that you think is so impressive behind you, they're going to die today too. And the wild beasts and the birds of the air are going to eat their flesh from their carcasses. And all this is going to have one purpose. It's not going to be so that my name is going to be known or so that the name of Israel is going to be known. It's going to be so that the God of Israel is going to be known. So that his name will go forth, so that his fame will spread even further and further and further throughout the earth. He's going to do this so that everyone knows that he alone is God can't you just see Goliath seething with rage as this child in his eyes challenges him this way with such boldness and such confidence? Again, David had every opportunity to seek glory for himself. He had every opportunity to say, man, look at you, all dressed up in your armor. Look at me, I'm I'm coming out here with just a sling, wearing a, a bear skin. Are, are you ready to be knocked out by by a boy? I mean, he could have built himself up. He could have puffed himself up, but he didn't. He he took every opportunity to focus the glory on God. It's point number three for us this morning. If we're going to be Davids in this life, when we go up against those who attack God attack God's reputation, we must give God the glory. We must give God the glory. when we take action on behalf of the Lord to the end that his reputation is exalted and not ours. When we confront the defiance of this world, we need to make sure that we leave our egos out of it. It's not about us. It's not about somebody praising us for how godly we are or praising our confidence, our boldness to to go in and and have a difficult conversation. No, we need to make sure that we take those and turn that around on, on glorifying our God. See, this wasn't about David's making a name for himself. This was about David exalting the name of the Lord. Again, this was David's opportunity. Defeat the giant. Be carried off the battlefield on the shoulders of the grateful Israelites. Recruit your groupies who are always going to remember you defeating Goliath. I mean, the the script was written if he wanted it. thing is, David didn't want it. He wanted to glorify God. He gave all the glory to God. He boasted in the Lord. And that's exactly what we're designed to do. See, from the word go, David was concerned about the reputation, the honor of God. That's why he bristles at that attack. That's why he takes action in the face of great risk. And that's why, victorious, he turns around and he gives all the glory to God, even After the battle, he does something that's pretty cool that may go overlooked for you. Where does David take Goliath's head? In fact, we've got a slide that shows, there it is, right there. See that? There's Goliath's head right there. Lifeless body laying on the ground. The uncircumcised Philistine. Where does David take his head in verse 54? Nope. Takes the armor to the tent. Where does David take the head of Goliath? To Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem at this point in the history of Israel? Nothing. Nothing. Jerusalem's a city that the Jebusites live in at this point in time in Israel's history. So why in the world does David take the head of Goliath to Jerusalem? i tell you, it has something to do with the glory of the Lord. Let me explain. If you were tracking with our daily Bible reading a couple days ago, you read through the section where God lists off the inhabitants of the promised land that he's going to give Israel. You know who one of those inhabitants are? The Jebusites. So when Joshua and all of Israel came in during the conquest, they were supposed to drive everyone out and clear out the promised land of all the the inhabitants, weren't they? Well, guess who they didn't clear out? The Jebusites. And so this was a failure to obey the Lord. And so David, being a man of God, knew that this wasn't right. So David goes to Jerusalem, to the Jebusites, to those who were the enemies of the Lord, who were supposed to be driven out. And in bringing the head there, as Pastor Mike put it when he preached this, he said this, David's in essence saying, hey, guys, I'll be back. And he leaves the head. Guess who the first people that David conquered was when he became the king of Israel? The Jebusites and Jerusalem. And he sets up the city of David. See, David was zealous for the Lord, zealous for the name of the Lord, zealous for the glory of the Lord. And he wanted to make sure that everyone knew about it. David and Goliath. Familiar story, but man, it's not an underdog story at all. When we approach the story from the right perspective, it was Goliath who never stood a chance, not David. Because David was fighting for the Lord. So the question before us, as we conclude, again, it's it's not what are the Goliaths you need to conquer in your life. The question before us is, Are you as zealous for the name of God and the reputation of God as David was? If you want to be a David, ask yourself, do you bristle when God is attacked, when he's mocked, when he's taunted? Does that do something to you internally? Do you feel the sting? Ask yourself, are you willing to take action when his name is reviled, no matter the risk that's involved? And ask yourself, finally, are are you doing it solely and completely for the glory of God? David and Goliath, let's pray together. God, we're thankful for a, a story like this, an account that you've given us, to remind us that you are a God who is holy. You are a God who is unrivaled and unmatched and unchallenged in character, in authority, in power, in wisdom, in stature, in might. And Lord, we live in a world that does openly defy you and heap shame upon you and your followers and your word. Lord, help us to be men who are not going to put up with that. Help us to be men who are going to stand up to that, who are going to take action in the face of that. Help us to be men who feel, as David did, hot indignation when the wicked forsake your laws. Lord, may the reproaches of you fall upon us. Lord, help us to to be men who stand up and and do battle for you. Fight for your name and your reputation. Lord, for your glory. God, as we turn to a time in small groups to pray for a productive and fruitful time. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.